Hi, my name is Rutendo Nyamuda and welcome to another episode of In My Twenties. In My Twenties. While you're here, please don't forget to like, share and subscribe to the In My Twenties podcast. Today's guest will be speaking about the gender-based violence crisis that is happening here in South Africa. So welcoming herself onto the In My Twenties podcast and into the In My Twenties family, here she is. Hi, my name is Karab Mafolo. I'm a journalist, feminist, master's student in gender and law. I like reading. I like Bojack Horseman. I like other cartoons. I like trap music. I like twerking. I like twerking on my friends. I like cuddling. And I like feminist literature. Now on every episode of the In My Twenties podcast, my guests always come through with these mind moments or gem moments. And this is just one of them. Like it kind of felt like a lot of men were looking at those accounts to see if their name was, names would pop up. Sure. And I think a lot of women were looking at those accounts to see if men they, they knew would pop up. The In My Twenties podcast is split up into three sections. In the first section, we get to hear a little bit more about Karabo's career journey. In the second section, we dive into today's topic, which is all about gender-based violence. And then rounding up all three sections is a conversation on the 20s journey. So without further delay, let's get straight into it. Can you give us a little bit of information on your background, how you got to where you are today? So I did my undergrad in Gender Studies and Sociology at UCT. And then I did my honors in gender, it's called gender and transformation. And then I took a year off school. I like registered for law school, hated it um, for very good reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was at home for a year and then I got a scholarship last year to do my info in law and gender at UCT. Mm-hmm. So I'm back there and um, I'm doing my master's, my dissertation. Um, so my research is looking at how transgender people navigate home affairs in mm. terms of applying to have their gender marker change because home affairs is a mess. So there's this act, it's called Alteration of Sex Description and Sex Status Act. Mm-hmm. And that's an act that, you know, on your ID, um, it's, you have sex and it says male or female. Yes. So you can apply to change that if you're transgender or intersex, right? Mm. So I'm doing, so the act is very clear in terms of you need to either be on hormones or had surgery, um, in order. And then when you go apply, you go with those doctor's letters. And then, yeah, so you can apply to change it from male to female or female to male because it's like currently, you know, the state only recognizes the binary. So intersex would, intersex people would only, would have to choose between that, right? And I'm intrigued. Like, what is it about human beings? Cause you've spoken about gender studies, mm-hmm. right? Um, you've spoken about, um, even your honors now. Uh, with transgender, uh, focus on transgender people. Mm-hmm. Um, but these are all people who in society are marginalized to a certain extent. What is it about, you know, people who are marginalized that you feel that you've kind of been called to do this research? Because it is a calling. It's not yeah. like you wake up in the morning, and you're like, this is what I want to do, or this is what I want to push for. This is what I want to advocate. Yeah. People do it in their small ways, but you're literally studying it. Yeah to change something in society. Yeah, because I think also as a woman, I'm also somewhat marginalized. And I don't think we can, I don't think there's, there's, we can get any sense of freedom when like trans people like can't be free as well, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's about 
kind of thinking that my kind of freedom and sense of moving forward is attached to other marginalized people. Mm. So I can't be free. And this Audre Lorde said that, you know, yeah. we, you can't be free if the next marginalized person isn't. But on marginalization <sighs> and discrimination. So even in light of everything that's happened in South Africa this last week, mm. for example, I am a female, but I'm also originally from Zimbabwe. And there are a lot of people who are, who are from different African countries who are currently in South Africa. And they're just like, what are you going to kill me for first? Or where are you going to attack me? Uh, kind of a thing. It's so many levels. And what you said that I really liked about that um, marginalization is you cannot be free or you can't be comfortable when someone else is uncomfortable knowing what it feels like to be marginalized or s- discriminated against. And that's the thing that frustrates me is like time and time again, we all know what it feels like to be discriminated against. We all know what it feels like to be marginalized. And yet we choose what we want to fight for and we choose who we want to fight for. And in a sense saying that these kind of people's lives who fit into my mentality or what I view is okay, that's who I'm willing to fight for. But the others I deem less. And so I'm Mm. not going to fight for Mm. them. Mm which is a greater issue than it's just, it's just a massive issue. It's Mm. like, you can't say one person's life because they're similar to me or they look like me Mm. or they sound like me or they act like me is more important or because Mm. my religious beliefs say that they are right in society, um, that I'm going to fight for them and not for everyone else. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's, I mean, I'm a feminist and I think that's why I value feminist theory so much because Mm. It's not just about the issues that affect me. It needs to be, my politics need to be intersectional. It needs to be, okay, this person is not South African. This person's not able-bodied. And so my politics also needs to think about that as well. Mm. Um, and I know that like mainstream, like places, a lot of men don't value feminist intellectual work. Mm. And it's, and it shows. <laughs> like, yeah. It shows. Yeah. So, Karabo, in all honesty, this last week, Mm. uh, these last few days in South Africa have been very traumatic. They've been horrific Mm. um, and very emotional for a lot of people in South Africa, um, from Uyinene to every other woman's story that has shown up in stories from children um, being hung by their fathers Mm. to women's bodies showing up uh, in the country. And I think August month, which is actually Women's Month, Mm. had... There were, I think it was reported 30 women who were murdered yeah. in their households, which is ridiculous and scary. Um, how do you feel right now as a 20-something-year-old woman in South Africa? I mean, I'll say this, right? Um, like, very scared, right? Um, so this week I've had, like, people be like, oh, like, please be safe. Please look after yourself. And I'm like, that I get the intention. And I, it kind of made me even more anxious. I'm like, oh, I'm very anxious. But it's like, practically, like there's only so many safety precautions I can take. Like I move around a lot. So I have to like, if I'm leaving here, I'm going to my house and taking an Uber. Um, I'm walking to the mall or whatever. Um, but there's only, there's, there, there are limits to how like safe I can try to be. Um, there's this woman, uh, she's an academic, Pumlan Ola, she's a feminist academic. And in 2006-2007, she published this article and it's called The Cult of Femininity. Mm. And she talks about gender-based violence. And she says, you know, women are told, don't go out at night, cover yourself, walk out, walk in like groups and stuff. 
And she's like, it's, it, that's called the cult of femininity, like mm. trying to present yourself in a particular way so that people don't harm you, right? Sure. But no matter how invested you are in that type of femininity, yeah. you can still be harmed, mm, mm. right? So there are limits to that. Mm. So I'm like, I can try. I mean, someone could like break into my house and like assault me. Like I've tried. Mm. Um, and so I'm just like, I'm not going to live my life in like hypervigilance. Yeah. Like I know probably I'm going to be killed by a man, but I'm not going to look over my shoulder every Tuesday. Like, that's not a way to live. Sure. Um, I can take as much precautions as I can. But at the end of the day, South Africa is incredibly violent. Mm. Speaking of, of yourself and, and how you described yourself as very petite and small and your fears. So my little sister is at UCT mm. at the moment. And um, when, yo, at the start, when we were looking for uh, Oyenene, mm. um, everyone was reposting. And I think everyone was hoping for a positive outcome in the story because you know the more we post mm. the more we put it out there on social media she she's going to she's going to come back and it's going to be okay mm. and the moment it was um reported that she had died and how she had died and where she was uh, the post office of all places uh, there was this pause moment of, of great shock and like literally we didn't know what to do. You know, mm. when you, when you have that, uh, fight, flight, freeze mm. mentality, mm. I think we all just froze mm. and there was just this deafening silence in the whole country. Mm. It's like, what do we do now? Um, and I started messaging my sister and I was just like, please don't, I know you like to run, don't run alone, make sure you're in groups, all of these things. Da, 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 da. And the, the thing that I will not forget, she said, um, is, but Retino, these perpetrators are in my rays. And that's one thing. And these perpetrators are in our work environments and we are engaging with these perpetrators every, every day, day and we see them and we smile at them. And some of them are the nicest people that you've ever met or seen. How would you define gender-based violence? I mean, it's violence enacted on people because of their gender. But I think another important thing to say is that gender-based violence isn't just violence against this gender woman. It's mm. also violence against transgender people because they are being assaulted or whatever or murdered because of their gender okay and i and i agree with you mm. also the other thing that that i'd looked up was even in terms of gender-based violence is it's not just the physical people always just think about about the physical elements of gender-based violence um but there's also the emotional stuff emotional abuse there is the economic abuse um there are many layers to it and and on that note, I kind of want to change the the focus of the conversation mm. then, because how have you found men men's responses or men's reactions to what is happening? So you know, on Twitter, when uh, there were accounts who they were like naming um, perpetrators of who've been assaulting, raping, abusing people, mm. and kind of felt I was telling this my friend is like it kind of felt like a lot of men were looking at those accounts to see if their name was names would pop up sure and i think a lot of women were looking at those accounts to see if men they they knew would pop up um or like someone who'd assaulted them would pop up i i want better from men um i mean there are men i'll say this there are men who are doing the work there's Mbuiselo Boetza, who's at the, who's a commissioner for the Commission for Gender Equality, and his focus is on men and boys in terms of, you know, like them espousing nonviolent masculinities. There's Gopano Radele, who's an academic at UWC, who writes a lot about how men can do better. And like, um, there's another guy, his name is Reisenhofer. He has a play called Just Men. It was playing at Baxter like a month ago. Mm. And like, if that play is ever playing, like, 
wherever you live, you need to see it. Cause it's literally, ah, oh, it was so intense. So like, uh, these men talk about, it's basically four men talking about how they've been violent in their lives. Mm. Um, and at the end, there's a Q and A. And it's literally men being like, I've never had a, like a positive role model and I want to be better than what I've seen. Um, and then Rise and Harvest says there's men's groups where mm. they talk about these things mm-hmm. and they unpack like violent masculinity and like how to do better and treat the people in your life better. Uh, what I found very interesting is that women can easily name, if not themselves, like someone in the immediate circles who have been sexually violated mm. or, um, even emotionally or physically or in some way have suffered gender-based violence or someone in their communities. But when you ask a guy, do you know anyone who's raped? Do you know anyone who has been emotionally abusive or physically abusive? Do you know anyone? They're like, no. Mm. Or like, why would you even like, no, you know me. Yeah. And I'm like, really? Mm. We know in our circles, Mm. but you are telling me you don't know one. Mm. You're either covering for them or you're lying or maybe you feel guilty because you've been part of those conversations. You've been catcalling. You've been doing something, but then own up to it and say, look, I've been feeling guilty. I've done this, but guys, let's change. Stop being on those WhatsApp groups. Stop being, stop enforcing and retweeting and reposting. It doesn't help because you're reinforcing that stereotype that it's okay for you Mm. as a guy to have that power over a woman to say, I'm sexualizing you or idealizing you or whatever it is. And it's not okay. Mm. And I mean, I think that's why I feel like, I don't know what the legal implications are, but I feel like it's very important to name and shame these people. Mm. I don't care if someone's going to say, oh no, but the court said um, this guy was not found guilty. But I'm just like, if a person says so-and-so assaulted me, like I automatically my immediate response is to believe that person. And I'm definitely for like knowing who these people are so that I don't associate with you. Like you should be ashamed. Mm-hmm. Like the other day at UCT when there was, um, it was after Uyinana's, uh memorial, there was supposed to be a student assembly on the way forward. And it just became a discussion of naming and shaming. And the one person was like, so-and-so is here and he stays at this race and he shouldn't be here because he's a rapist and mm. he left. And he should be ashamed. Mm. Like, the victims have been carrying the shame for years. So I have no empathy whatsoever for rapists and abusers and whatever. Like, carry that shame. Yeah. Feel uncomfortable because that's how it should be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speak a little bit more about that because I think that's quite an interesting mm. uh kind of thing to observe or to watch Mm. when you're in when you have that bravery enough to stand up in front of a crowd and say look if we have an opportunity to name and shame the guy who sexually assaulted me is in this room and I'm pointing him out and and sometimes the catalyst for women speaking up is seeing other women speak up about it oh my gosh that's so so right so this this person this woman who came up first she literally was the first person she said that that mm. guy was asked to leave. Mm. And literally people just, and I think it's, I mean, uh, okay. So in terms of speaking about experiences, so people saying, oh, like in detail, this is what happened. You don't really have to do that. But I think it's also very important because it helps other women see that, okay, that thing that I thought was okay. Or like that thing that made me uncomfortable is mm. actually, it's happened to someone else and it's harassment. You know, you, you find you're able to articulate it in better ways. Mm. And there's that thing that, okay, it's happened to someone else and it was, it was not okay. Yeah. Um, and so women came up. And I mean, even when women would say, oh, nothing really happened, but you followed me. I'm like, no, something happened. He mm. made you uncomfortable. Mm. You were visibly uncomfortable and this person still persisted. Yeah. That's not nothing. Yeah. And I think we come from a culture where women's feelings are downplayed. They dismissed. And so, even when men are like harassing us, we kind of like downplay the 
discomfort we feel because, oh, at least he didn't rape me. At least he didn't. But it's like, no, he arrested you. Something happened. The reason why women don't come and speak up mm. is because they're made to feel like either they did something mm. to have this happen mm. to them or it's someone that they knew or what are people going to say about them? How are they going to feel? Like what, what in your opinion, actually, let me ask you, what in your opinion, also based on some of your studies, are the reasons why people don't speak up? I mean that, um, also it's, I think it's very difficult because I think, especially if, I mean, everywhere we go, you know, women are kind of blamed for these things and stuff. And then kind of go into a police station, which is incredibly intimidating. Um, and then that secondary trauma, um, where you kind of told, you know, you, you kind of dismissed or like, I know recently there was a shortage of rape kits and it's like, what do you mean? So mm. already there's like a lot of barriers in terms of you reporting and it getting to court. And when you do get to court, you're kind of traumatized again. Um, and there's low conviction rates. Um, and yeah, I think we live in a society that generally doesn't believe women. Um, so that's also really difficult. Or, or you say something or you speak up, people don't believe you, or you speak up as I've seen on social media mm. and then you have men coming because mm. some of the, some of these men who have been uh, accused of assaulting women mm. have said that that could never be me guys. Mm. It's not me. So mm. now what happens? They've come forward. You've said no. Now who are people going to believe? She's done. She's gotten to that brave point mm. to say, actually, I'm going to speak up. Can I just make another point? Um, and cause I know uh, men will be like, Oh, you know, sometimes you have sex with a woman and the next day she comes back and she's just raped. And I'm like, okay, we also need to interrogate your idea of consent. Mm. Right. Cause I think a lot of men don't know, you know, they think like badgering you and like kind of. Wearing you down until you say yes is consent. And it's like, okay, let's talk about the circumstances that this consent was given under. And then when we discuss that, then you'll realize that actually it was rape. Sure. But men don't, they, you know, a lot of men who say that literally, if you ask them, okay, let's speak about how the consent was negotiated. It's like, okay, like, do you see why this person was saying you raped them? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of men take their cues from, our leaders mm. and from leadership in general and people they look mm. up to. I would like to, to hear from you how you felt President Ramaphosa dealt with or has spoken about the situation. Um, in your opinion, how do you feel about it? I mean, I know he said there would be harsher sentences mm. for, for perpetrators. And like we said, in terms of reporting rape, I'm just like, it's underreported. So I don't know how much difference it's going to make in terms of the rapists in our communities. Mm. Um, but yeah, like I said, I mean, or did he say uh, also they would, they wouldn't get bail or whatever. Um, it's literally taking violent people and putting them in an even more violent situation, putting them in prison, which is violent. All sorts of rape is happening there and violence is happening there. And so I don't think there's really an understanding of how to change the very mm. fabric of this country, which is rooted in violence against women, violence against uh, queer people. But even more so rooted in gender inequality. Yeah. Which we don't talk about. Yeah. We don't talk, we're just like, what do you mean gender inequality? Because the people who are at the top of a lot of these institutions are men. So then when you want to talk about as a woman that I'm feeling that we're not equal, because because guys will say stupid stuff like, oh, we live in an equal society or you, you're a feminist – 
pay for the meal and you're not it's not about me paying for the meal it's mm. about me being able to step outside exactly. and feel safe it's exactly. about me being able to work in this corporation and know that we're getting paid the same mm. it's about me feeling that the power dynamics between the two of us are equal and they, unless unless that happens we can't and gender inequality still remains mm. one of the most um uh one of the highest violations of human's right mm. human rights in many societies mm. in the world today. My last 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 question because mm. I do remember you mentioned this earlier and, and I'm very intrigued by this because I don't know much about it mm. is the perpetrator's list. Mm. What is that and yeah what 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 is the perpetrator's list? Yeah, so there's a sexual offenders register mm-hmm. um and it isn't available to the public. So you and I can't look at it. And from what I understand, it only records um, people who've raped um, mentally ill people and children. Mm. And so if, for instance, I'm opening a preschool and I want to verify that Retendo hasn't assaulted any children, we go to that list. But also another, can I just point out that the way that this country is so dysfunctional, a few months ago, Mailing Guardian wrote an article about how a teacher who has been an, in and out of jail for raping minors was in a classroom teaching. Sure. So that's also how dysfunctional this whole damn country is. Like, that we're going to ask, how did this guy get a job at the post office even though he had a criminal record? And so we don't all know how dysfunctional the criminal, the criminal justice is. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, everything is a mess. Nothing works in this country. So mm. there's also that. So this list is going to be open. But I mean, hopefully, like, um, Cyril also said that he would, uh, speak to cabinet so that that could be amended so that that list could be open to the public. But then I think also it would need to be expanded to other, like, people who just raped everyone, not just specifically for that. Mm. Um, and then there would also need to be a concerted effort to make sure that from report, and I mean, every year they're saying, oh, we're training police officers to be sensitive. Oh, we have a female officer. There's a room for you to report. And then every year someone is telling us, no, but when I went, they were dismissive. They didn't take me seriously. Mm. So there's a disconnect there. Um, so it also be, need to be like a concerted effort to make sure that from reporting to trial, that there's also high, like a successful conviction rate mm. so that those names are also on that register. Okay. And I know you, you read a lot about, um, gender in general and, uh, gender based violence. Is there any, um, material that you would feel that the ordinary person could pick up and read, be it a book or an article, um, that would shed light, but also give context and maybe some hope? Mm. In the situation that we're in, I'm just going to recommend um, "Rape: A South African Nightmare" by Pumlangola. Um, good book, and it starts off with the history of how sexual violence was treated during slavery and apartheid, and that yeah, it's like a very good book, and it's not like too dense or like you know academicy. So how would you describe your 20s? Um, my 20s have been very interesting. Um, I mean, it's only been like five years of being in my 20s, so there's not much to say about it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes miss being like in 
school full time like because i had all my friends it was like a full-time job i'm a full-time scholar yes. yeah but like i had like i was like i was telling my friend the one time i was like i only like miss like certain stuff like i lived in the same building as my friends so mm. if i was like sad i could go to the room for cuddles and wine <laughs> you know now it's like ah oh, no i have an assignment or like i'm not in the city or whatever and yeah. that sucks but it's been fun i can't wait to like be way over the stage of my life yeah it's the beginning of my career also mm-hmm um, but yeah. But that's exciting. Like the start of your career is always exciting. You're a journalist. You're in the field. <laughs> I'm trying to it sell is, your own career to It you. is. Yeah. No, it is exciting. I mean, it's exciting also because it's not like I don't sit at a desktop the whole day. Yeah. So that's fun. Like any job that will allow me to like go outside and do stuff. Mm. It like is fun. So you're 25. You're on the 25. Yeah. Right. And so at 25, a lot of people plus minus 25 go through this quarter life crisis maybe let's not say quarter life crisis have you had any major challenges in your 20s my major challenge was after honors i don't know what i wanted to do and i didn't really apply for jobs okay um and then my dad was like why don't you apply to do law and i was like okay cool so i applied i mean okay in my defense i applied because vitz sells it as a postgrad law Mm-hmm. And a lot of people talk about the So this postgrad degree is literally when you apply for to do your LLB at FITS and you have a degree, any degree, mm. you do it for three years, right? And so I kind of assumed that it would not be like undergrad. Okay. Like I don't want to go to a classroom and be told information and I have to tell it, you back that information in an essay. I want to critique and be like... This is rubbish. This is, you know, ill-conceived, blah, blah, blah. Cause that was, that's what honors was about, right? Critiquing work and engaging with it seriously. Mm. So, I mean, that was like my regret that I kind of like went in that with like those huge expectations that, yo, like intellectually I'd be challenged and I wasn't. Okay. I literally felt like, and I, you know, I just felt like, not to be arrogant, but I felt like I was too smart to be in there mm. because I was just like, no, I want to like, debate with why I think you know and it kind of felt like and it wasn't just me it was other students who were like maybe we had some essay to do on like land and everyone was like we're not going to be radical and say land needs to be expropriated uh, without compensation compensation otherwise we're going to get marked down and I was like where are we like what is this I'm not sure for that so I left that so that was probably my biggest regrets Hmm. yeah in your 20s and and being a journalist right now and studying gender what advice would you have for women and men in this climate where we are addressing and being affected by gender-based violence okay men firstly um in terms of false accusations very low so when someone tells you that they've been assaulted by your friend you know, you shouldn't, I don't think the best response would be like, oh, you're lying or like, oh, that doesn't make sense. I think you need to trust women. Yeah, man, just kind of work on seeking mutual consent when it comes to doing sexual stuff, um, whether it's your romantic partner or not. Um, and also for women, women need to believe more women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just respecting people's bodies. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And advice in general for people in their 20s who are just trying to navigate life in their 20s because being in your 20s is tough. It's difficult. You're questioning a lot of things. So what advice would you have for people in their 20s? If you can, see a therapist. 
if you're like on campus and there's a campus therapist, you should try to see them. Therapy is the best. Mm. Like I have a love-hate relationship with my therapist. She knows it. Like sometimes she talks and I was like, yo, if I see this bitch on the streets, (laughs) like on site. Um, But she drags me with lots of love and I keep going because... Yeah, I mean, yeah, if you can, okay, cause I mean, even with like small, not small, but like even if you feel like, oh, you're not managing stress really well, it's really good to see a therapist. Cause she'd be like, oh, you also not dealing with your emotions very well. And it's like enlightening. So even if you feel like, oh, this is not that big of an issue, if you do have access to one, cause I know campus ones are generally like free or like really low cost. Um, I know in Cape Town, there's the counseling hub, but they have a very long waiting list. Um, so yeah, see a therapist if you can. And don't like use your girlfriend as a substitute for therapy for the men. See a therapist. Thank you so much, Karabo, for coming onto the In My Twenties podcast and sharing your viewpoints on gender-based violence. I do believe that this is an important conversation that we need to keep having because the gender-based violence crisis is not just a crisis that we are experiencing in South Africa or on the African continent. It is an international crisis that is affecting millions and millions of women around the world. There is this quote that reads, the opposite of love isn't hate, but the opposite of love is indifference. Because when you are indifferent and you stay silent, you are therefore siding with the perpetrator. So that is why it is crucial that we keep speaking up against gender-based violence. So we will catch you same time, same place, right here on In My Twenties.